Welcome to Tech Talk Online, sponsored by Stratford University. You can listen to Tech Talk Live Saturday mornings from 9 till 10. Find us online at federalnewsnetwork.com or hear us on the radio in the Washington, D.C. area on the following frequencies. 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD 2, and 1039 FM HD 2. We thank you for listening to Tech Talk Radio. Interfacing complete. Please stand by. Now downloading Tech Talk Radio with Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Tech Talk Radio, it's technology you can understand. And now here are Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We are in the virtual faculty lounge of Stratford University talking technology. I'm Dr. Richard Schertz. And I'm Jim Russ. Lots going on in technology. As always, the NSA has recommended to, to, to drop the phone surveillance program. That's been very controversial, and they decided it was more trouble than it's worth. Google has banned a huge number of apps from their Play Store because those apps were actually putting in fake clicks to make money for the for the application vendor. Uh, Sri Lanka is banning all social media after those bombings down there. We'll talk about that. That's a double-edged sword. We'll talk about the impact on that. People did an analysis on Facebook, and they decided that, that within 50 years, there will be more profiles of dead people than of live people. Really? That's going to change the whole characteristic of the website. And, of, and this week, we're going to feature Ren Zenfei. He is the founder and former CEO of Huawei. That's the manufacturer of telecom equipment in China. And they've been in the news recently because of security concerns. And, of course, it was a huge, huge mailbag. There's a letter in your mailbox. I'm glad to see he made it back oh, from Easter egg hunting. Oh, finally he's, got, yes. he's, back, mm-hmm. he's back in the saddle again. We got an email from Doug in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Dear Doc and Jim, I found in the street... A runover Samsung S9 cell phone. It was badly damaged. The case backing was fractured on all sides. The screen won't light up. It's dead for all, as far as all purposes uh, could go. How do I go about finding the owner? Um, I haven't brought the phone inside yet. I put it in a plastic bag so it wouldn't get well, wet. Well, it might be rabid, so I wouldn't touch yeah. it. Yeah, so he, uh, he said, but you know... What do you suggest? You suggest I, I, I dispose of it? Or is there any way to locate the owner? If, if I can't locate the owner, I'd like to take it apart and just see what's inside of it. Maybe I could rebuild <laughs> something with it. It's kind of a fun project. But if the phone's locked, it may not be worth rebuilding. I'd look look forward to your answer and your great radio show. Thanks, Doug, in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Well, Doug, every phone has two identifiers in it. You've got the IMEI number that stands for international mobile equipment identity i knew that imei and and that's a 15 digit number did you know that jim i did not (laughs) it's a 15 digit number 14 digits plus a digit check at the end i didn't know (laughs) any of that actually i was just (laughs) playing along and so and that has things like the origin of the phone the model of the phone the serial number of the phone are all embedded in the imei so um the the telecom company actually has a recording of all the IMEIs, and um, and so if you could identify the IMEI, you you could really and you knew the carrier, you you could ident- you could locate the uh, the owner. Now, if it's a GSM phone, it has a SIM card in it. Now, the SIM card has embedded within it the phone number. 
So you could actually pull the SIM card out and you could stick it into another phone and you could get the phone number from it. And then you, if you could identify the carrier, you could then contact the carrier and find out the person who had that phone number. Mm. And then you, you could locate them, locate them that way. And chances are the SIM card is still good. And you could do that without turning on the phone. So those would be the two options that you have. Now, um, chances are the person who owned the phone has already gotten a new phone and they've transferred the number to the new phone and they've disabled the old number. And the and the the phone is really of no value to them because all their data would have been backed up on the on the cloud. So when they got a new phone, they would just download all their data from the cloud, and um, you know. And so this phone, if you if you if you locate them, I mean, there's nothing valuable on that as far as Even, they're concerned. So the SIM card is of no use at this point. We, they, they would have another SIM card, and they've already transferred the, the number to another IMEI device. So you couldn't get into the, the, the phone? No. It's no. So, so if, you would, if you would try to go on with that SIM card, that SIM card's been disabled. Oh, good. And so, good and so boom. And so, the, the, and so the other phone has been enabled. So you could not log on to the net, network with the SIM card. It, it, you may be able to look at the SIM card and tell what the carrier is. You could contact the carrier. Just you go to their website. You send, and you can say, this is the phone number. I found the phone. And they know who owned the phone. And they could probably get it back to the person. Now, I don't think it'll be any value to the person. Mm-hmm. So, so you know, you could you could just take it apart and learn from it. Uh, you know, if you'd want, you could. Do, it's really your choice. I don't think there's any value to the person. You could take it apart. Chances are, you're not going to get much out of it because I just can't imagine that the, that you're going to get the thing back on. But it is interesting to see how these phones are put together when you sort of sure. go into it. Yeah. So now we got an email from Helen in Rockville. Dear Doc and Jim, I'd like to open my garage door remotely for when packages are delivered. I'd also, sometimes at night, I, I forget to close the garage door, so I would like it to close automatically, say, at 9 o'clock in the event I forget to close it. What are my options to enable these two features in my garage door opener? Surely it's an electronic device. You ought to be able to do that for me. Love the show, Helen in Rockville. Well, Helen, your garage door opener is not going to do either one of those things. Huh. It's just a dumb garage door opener, <laughs> and you push a button and you open and close it. No, no, no remote operation at all. Now, if you want to remotely operate your garage door, there's something that's really good called Nex Home Garage Door Opener, N-E-X-X, Home Garage Door Opener. The Next Garage, it's a companion device to an existing, uh, you know, garage door opener, and it allows one or more users to open and close and monitor the garage door remotely. And basically, it's a it's a little box, and it uh, it it's it sits up right beside the garage door. It's connected to your Wi-Fi. That's how you that's how you talk to it, and and it basically shorts the the contacts without that that the button on this on this on the sidewall are connected to, and it will either open or close the garage door remotely. It's it's it really works well. I have one of those. The next garage door it works fantastic, and um, and then you can remotely you can open the garage door, close the garage door. It has a little magnetic sensor, so you you know when the garage door is closed or open uh, just by just by the position of that magnetic sensor. So that that would work very well for you. You have to have Wi-Fi, and uh, it takes about an hour to install it. It's pretty pretty easy to install. And then you would download the Next Home Garage app on either your Android device or your or your iPhone device, and you could completely control it. Now, that Next Garage door opener, it doesn't have any things that will automatically close your garage door 
you know, at, say, 9 o'clock at night. It doesn't have that built into the system. But there's another application that does that, IFTTT. <laughs> now, that stands oh, IF. Oh, we've talked about this, haven't yeah. we? Uh, IFTTT stands for if this, then that. And so. If it's 9 o'clock. Yeah. If it's 9 o'clock, then cl- close the garage door. See, and so what you do is there are a lot of applications that have – an IFTT is basically a free platform that connects to a lot of applications. You can do a lot of things with it. You can say, like, if I get 10 emails in my Gmail account, open the garage door. <laughs> if it's 11 o'clock, do you know where your children are? Yeah, That's so you, old, you, can, you can – and many, many applications will – have APIs that link to IFTTT. And fortunately, Next Home Garage inter- integrates with IFTTT. So you simply, and, they, and they've got little applets that have been designed actually by Next Garage. And one of them is uh, open the garage door at a particular time. So you can, you can basically enable that applet on IFTTT. You can either enable the applet on your iPhone or your Android because IFTTT has a mo- has applications that are on mobile devices, or you can go to the IFTTT website on with your browser on just your computer. You can enable that app applet, and then what you have to do is you've got to link it to the to the garage doors. I mean, you got you got to put in the uh, put in the password for your garage home account so t- to provide the linkage. And then once you've linked the two together, you've got it done. And you're and you could say, okay, close my garage door at nine o'clock at night. And then if you if you forget to close it, it just closes it. If it if it's already closed, you know it doesn't do anything. It it sends a close signal, but it's already closed. So your garage door doesn't do anything. So the combination of Next Home Garage and IFTTT will do everything you want, Helen. And I hope you have fun setting that up. We got an email from Len in Fairfax. I keep receiving notifications on my computer saying that Microsoft is going to stop supporting Windows 7 in January. I really like Windows 7, and I hate the thought of upgrading to Windows 10. Is this really true, or is it a scam? Lynn in Fairfax. Well, Lynn, unfortunately, Microsoft has announced they're going to stop releasing security updates or providing technical support for Windows 7 to the general public on January 14, 2020. So it is true. But Windows 10 is not bad, Lynn. I mean, I, I mean, Windows 8 was terrible. I, I would agree that yeah. you wouldn't want to upgrade. You know, I never upgraded to Windows 8. I'm not a fan of 10, honestly. But I, it's, I, I, I don't mind it. 10 is okay, and it's probably one of the best operating systems that Microsoft has had in a long time. I did like 7, but I had to give it up. So now I've got mm-hmm. 10. So you actually have five options here, Lynn. One you could do nothing and just take your chances. Your Windows 7 will still work after January 14th, but you won't receive any security updates after that time. And you'll be vulnerable to a lot of stuff on the web. So it's cheap, it's easy, but it's not recommended. Now, the second thing you could do, you could upgrade your computer's Windows 7 installation to a Windows 10 operating system. Now, if your PC was is fairly recent, that'll work because Windows 10 is a resource hog. Uh, and so, you know, you could actually the, – the Windows – if you're doing an upgrade, the Windows 10 upgrade cost is about the third – about one-third of the price of, say, a Windows 10 license. And so, so you, could, you, you could put uh, – you could just simply pay a little money and upgrade to 10. If you've got a recent computer, that's a good idea. Now, if you've got an old computer, 
an old computer, um, it's probably not worth upgrading from Windows 7 to Windows 10 because you could probably add a couple of hundred dollars to the, the, um, the upgrade, the license upgrade cost and get a brand new laptop. Now, if, if, if you want to get a brand new low-end laptop, you could actually probably do the upgrade. That's, I would think that's going to be your best option if you've got an old computer. Just go. It's the cheap. Don't, don't, don't upgrade the old computer to 10. It'll be slow, sluggish. But if, you, if you've got the Windows 10 license integrated with a new computer, those prices are really low. And if, and if you're just using it to surf the web, you don't need a high-end PC. So mm-hmm. you can probably get a PC at a pretty good price. And only spend a couple of hundred dollars more than the, 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 the upgrade license fee would be if you stayed with, stayed with your own computer. Now, if you are kind of a techie, you could just replace Windows 7 with Linux. And uh, that'll work just fine. If you're, and if you're just surfing the, your PC, just surfing the Internet, visiting websites, accessing social media, you could replace it with Windows, with Linux for free. And the nice thing is your computer will probably run faster with Linux because it doesn't use much resources. It's not, it is not a resource hog. And in addition to that, with Linux, you don't you don't have to install antivirus software, so you're you've got you've got more embedded security with Linux. So, if you're a techie, that may be a good option. Or what you could do, if you just want to learn something about technology, you could get your new PC with Windows 10, keep your old PC, and upgrade it to Linux, and learn Linux. It might be really good opportunity for you to you know to hone your tech skills. And and the last option is what a lot of people have done. I mean, most people now just surf the web on their yeah, on their iPhone. Exactly. I mean, that, and so just just stop using the computer and just start and go to your iPhone or your iPad and surf the web, and then you don't have to do do anything. Those are your five options, and it really depends on how you use your computer and whether you're a techie and how much money you want to spend. Right. Windows but, XP is no longer in it. That, that was discontinued that a few was years the, ago, right? Uh, yeah, it's not supported at all. Windows XP, no way. We got an email from Michael in Boston. Dear Tech Talk, when I woke up this morning and turned to my laptop to check my email, the laptop could not find my Wi-Fi network. I did scan for available networks and found just one. I thought it might be my neighbor's Wi-Fi signal that was coming to the house, but I noticed it was a really strong signal. And then I got worried. So I unplugged my router. And that really strong signal disappeared. It was kind of a weird name that was on it. I didn't recognize it. So apparently, the name of my Wi-Fi network has been changed. It appears like somebody has hijacked my router. Help! What can I do? Could could he have been hacked? Is that what you think? Yeah, yeah. So he was hacked. Somebody went in there, took over his router, and changed the Wi-Fi name and password to something something that he didn't put down. Uh, he says, uh, I've got a Belkin 4 N450 0DB. Uh, what, what can I do? Well, uh, Michael, it, you've clearly been hacked. Somebody's taken over your router. And then they've renamed your Wi-Fi network and they've changed the password. So, yes, you have been hacked. And it could be that you that your router that you allowed, that you configured it for remote access and then somebody, and you didn't change the password, you left it as a default password, they logged in. It could be your neighbor could have logged into it, just, you know, picked up your Wi-Fi signal. If you didn't change the default pass, login password, maybe they logged into your router and took it over. I don't know what the security flaw was that allowed this to happen, but, yes, it has been taken over. The good news is, since you physically control your router, you can get it back. You just have to reset it. So what you do is you go and you power up your router, and on the back panel there's a little reset button. 
and you might have to it might take a, a ballpoint pen or something to push it in and you push in that reset button hold it for 10 seconds and then you release it and the lights on the router will after 10 seconds will momentarily flash then the router light will begin to blink and then finally when the router becomes solid again the reset process is complete now next you can go to the router setup utility and you're going to set it up just like a new router you want to connect your router to your computer with an Ethernet cable because, you know, out of the box, it's not connected to Wi-Fi. So you have to configure it with the Ethernet. So you connect your router to the Ethernet cable. Then you've got to go to the to the web interface for your browser or to, for your router to, to, to uh, configure it. Now, for this particular router, the, the, the address is 192.168.2.1. Normally, it's 0.1.1, but they, for some reason, they decide to have 192. Point one six eight point two point one, and so that would be the uh, the the IP address. So you put that in your browser, and it will take you to the login facility on the router, and you can just click login because the the default password is blank, and I'm thinking you may have left it blank. <laughs> ah, that's why somebody got into it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to recommend you change that password. So then you log in, and then and then you're then you're in. And then what you want to do, you go to the Wi-Fi, and you want to you want to na- rename your Wi-Fi, whatever you want, you know, secure Wi-Fi, whatever you want to name it. Rename your Wi-Fi to what you have. Make certain to enable WPA2 security, and that will mean that you got a certain length of a password. And then choose a strong password for your Wi-Fi thing. And then go back, and this is what you probably forgot to do. Then go back and change the password on the on the login screen of your router. So somebody can't get bit back in. And so once you've done that, boom, you can just uh, reset. Then you, you basically reboot the router, and you are good to go. Then you just go onto your laptop, and you'll find the new Wi-Fi thing, and you can log into it, and you've got the, the address, and you will have everything done. Now, I have to say that Belkin N450DB router is really an old router. You might consider replacing it. It'll give you better speed, for one thing, and better security. But... Best of luck, and I hope you get your router back right away. I have a question. Yes. So this, by extension, so if, you know, we were talking last time we were together about uh, people letting their neighbors uh, have access to their Wi-Fi. Yeah. So, for instance, you have people over to your house uh-huh. on a regular basis, yep. right? And they mm-hmm. know your Wi-Fi, and mm-hmm. so they come in and, they, and they're, they're on your Wi-Fi. If they surf and find nefarious websites and things of that nature on their device— Am I the one that gets in trouble? You are, because it's all t- pegged to the IP address of your router. Gotcha. So, and, and so it doesn't matter who has gone to these bad websites, you get blamed. Great. <laughs> you get blamed. And it's hard to prove that somebody else did it. That is one of the downsides. So you couldn't, you, you couldn't then go from the IP address to a uh, specific device that had been on that IP address. You couldn't do that. That data is not stored in the router. Interesting. Yeah. So, so – uh, I, I suppose you could reconfigure the log to sort of prove it, but mm-hmm. the log as they have it doesn't doesn't have that data as to who as to who did what. Because you think about it, that means they would have to store every single web request for every single device on the on on the network, and that would just take a lot of memory. So they just so, don't do that. So if something was going on and the feds come in and, and grab your Wi-Fi device, your Wi-Fi router, it, it will it will. You, the log will identify <clears throat> devices that are logged on. They can read the log off of your router? Yeah, well, if you give them the password. 
I see. So give them the password. They could read the log off the router, and they could see which devices were logged on at a particular time. But if there were two devices logged on at the same time, they couldn't tell, they who, couldn't tell, who, they couldn't tell who was doing what. Gotcha. But if there's only one device on, and it's not yours, then you could infer that it had to be that one device. Gotcha. But you're sort of That's ho- interesting. hoping that it would work out okay. no idea you could drill down to that, that yeah. level. Yeah, so you, if you go, just log on to your router thing and look at the logs, and you can just see all the stuff that's logged. A lot of stuff is logged, but not, not, not every website you go to. Okay, we got an email from Patricia in Florida. I'm an avid LinkedIn user, and I frequently view profiles of people who have left the company because <laughs> I like to see what they're up to. <laughs> but I don't want them to know that I'm looking at their profile. Ooh. Is there any way that I can stop LinkedIn from showing that I viewed their profile? Patricia in Florida. Well, LinkedIn actually does tell people when you view, view their profile. It shows them your name. Sometimes people can even order email or an alert when somebody's viewed their profile. So, you know, so you know, if you just let things go with the default configuration, there is zero privacy on LinkedIn. Now you can actually fix that. So you can you can go to your you can go to the web you go, go to the computer, your LinkedIn website. And then you click on your profile icon, which is in the upper right-hand corner, usually your picture. You click on your picture there. And then a menu will come up, select settings and privacy. And then under that, there's a something called check how others see your profile and network information. And click on that. And then there's something called viewing options, profile viewing options, and click on that. And you have two options there. You you can go in as an anonymous LinkedIn member, and then whenever you go in, so you can be anonymous, and it just says anonymous LinkedIn member. You could choose anonymous at your company, so it could be anonymous at say Federal News Radio, and then, but they would know somebody at that company was looking, but they wouldn't know who. Mm-hmm. Or you could just leave no masking, and it shows your name and your company. And so I think in your case, since you don't want to know you're tracking them, you would just want to pure do the pure anonymous. Now, if you pick the anonymous feature, LinkedIn will hide the names of people who view your profile after you enable this anonymous feature. But so what you could do when you when you're going to go snooping around, you just turn on anonymous, and when you're done snooping, turn it off. There you go. But you've got complete control over that. Listen, we love your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu. We'll get back to you as soon as we can. It's Saturday morning. You're listening to Tech Talk Radio on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD2, 1039 FM HD2. Follow us on the web. Uh, learn about all the programs at Stratford University by going to stratford.edu. And you can watch us do the program every Saturday morning at 9 by downloading the Periscope app to your device and following us at WFED Tech Talk. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment.
In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge of Stratford University talking technology. And now it is time for... Profiles in IT. Yes, today we're going to feature Ren Zhengfei. Ren Zhengfei. Well done. Thank you. It's a Chinese engineer and entrepreneur. He's best known as founder and CEO of Huawei, the manufacturer of telecom equipment and smartphones. Uh, this has been in the news a lot. They're the number one worldwide telecom equipment manufacturer and the number two smartphone manufacturer in the world. Ren was born October 25, 1944 in Guizhou, China. After 1949, his father was appointed to be president of the number one middle school of Dayan, and uh, in 1958, his father became a member of the Communist Party. After completing high school, Ren attended the Chongqing Chongqing University in the 1960s. After getting out of the university, he joined the People's Liberation Army as an engineer. This was during the Cultural Revolution when the country was su- suffering from huge food and clothing sh- shortages. Ren was tasked with setting up a chemical factory to make textile fibers, part of the government's plan to ensure that every citizen had at least one decent piece of clothing. Ren and his military comrades slept in a shabby housing complex in sub-zero temperatures, living on pickled vegetables for months Ew. at a time. Yeah, it was, it was really a tough life there. And China was really struggling to make ends meet during, that, during the Cultural Revolution. Uh, after Ren successfully reverse-engineered a tool that was needed to test equipment at the fiber factory, this is the clothing fiber factory, a supervisor uh, helped him become a Communist Party member because, uh, you know, apparently that's kind of an elite status and not everybody can join the Communist Party. So his supervisor helped him become a Communist Part- Party member. He then worked at the People's Liberation Army Research Institute as a military technologist in the IT Research Division. Now, he had hoped that he could become an officer in the People's Liberation Army, but his hopes were dashed because of his background. His father had been labeled a capitalist rotor in the Cultural Revolution. Now, what that means is his father thought capitalism was better than communism. (laughs) 
and that Cars. just and that just blackballed him as far as wow. being a PLA officer. Now in 1982, they they had a big reduction in force at the People's Liberation Army. They're trying to cut back. They had too many people on the payroll, so <laughs> he retired. And I, I, you know, I got the feeling it was like a forced retirement because like because it. a lot of people retired the same day. Some forced retirements are even more that's, that's harsh right. than that. That was in 1982, uh-huh. and then in uh, then he moved to Shenzhen, uh, and he spent a few years working for an oil company. Then in 1987, he founded Huawei Technologies with with basically 21,000 won. That that's about 5,000 U.S. dollars. He started that, and he wanted to you know get into telecommunications. But there were three owned state enterprises, state-owned enterprises that were in the telecom business. The three were called Great Dragon, and then the Tang, and ZTE. And they dominated the market because they were government-backed. So Huawei was registered as a private company in Shenzhen, which was just a little fishing village. And initially, Huawei sold mostly equipment for telephone exchanges that had been manufactured in Hong Kong. Now, the company in the beginning was dismissed as a minor vendor. Nobody really cared about it. He struggled to make market share. He just he couldn't expand the company. During these, during these struggling years, he, you know, he was depressed because he couldn't make his company work. He, Ren pushed the employees to work long hours and do whatever it took to secure business. He couldn't compete in the big cities with these state-owned enterprises, so they focused on, the little, on China's small towns and villages. Now, this is where he made his strategic move that allowed him to be so successful. Ren invested heavily in research and development. He thought that if they developed some really innovative uh, telecom equipment, that it would help them get market share. And he pushed Huawei to create its own technology that would allow them to compete with the bigger state-owned enterprises. Uh, now, many people have, have accused them of stealing technology from other countries, uh, from other companies. That there's a, there's a, so it's not clear how much they developed on their own and how much they lifted or through, in, through industrial espionage. But they ended up, after that process, of having pretty good hardware. Now, Huawei was essentially in – now, basically, Huawei is, is privately held. It was never publicly owned. And it's basically privately held by its employees. So he, he got the employees to invest as they were growing. But because it's not publicly held, the ownership structure remains very opaque. And nobody knows really who owns Huawei. And uh, that's why the U.S. intelligence community is so concerned that the, that the um, Chinese government may actually control the software, which, of course, which they are, which Huawei is denying, but nobody's really sure. Ren's eldest daughter is the chief financial officer of Huawei. She's been with them for 20 years. She's, been, she's worked in a lot of jobs all in the whole company. She worked really closely with, his, with, his, with her dad. She was recently arrested in Canada. Uh, for vi- for violations of U.S. export sanctions to Iran. If you remember, huh. she was she was visiting Canada for an event, and the um, U.S. government issued a, um, a an arrest warrant for her. They sent it to Canada. The Canadians arrested it. She fought extradition to the U.S., but Canada's going to extradite her to the U.S. Hmm. So the U.S. may try her and put her in jail. 
for, for Iranian exports. The U.S. is really trying to crack down on Huawei. Now, Ren holds 1.42% of the shares of Huawei. Now, they had an annual revenue of $92 billion in mm. 2017. And with a valuation of, and they had a valuation in 2010 of 450 million. But in uh, Huawei is now the largest manufacturer of telecom equipment and the second largest smartphone manufacturer. So now he beat out all the state-owned enterprises. Now many people wonder how he could have grown that fast and that big. And uh, what happened? The government gave him access to a lot of financing, and so they think that. He's beholden to the government. That's why they don't want to trust his equipment. As of February 2019, his net worth was $1.7 billion. Mm. Now, if you look back on this, he had the personality of somebody in Silicon Valley really building a company. He, he invested on, on innovation, but he's in China, so nobody can trust him. Right, exactly. See, that's the thing. So he says, look, he said, I started my own company. I invested everything. I did everything on my own. I'm not with the Chinese government, and so why should I be punished? So so I think we don't really know enough about it, but at this point, nobody wants China to control the fifth-generation telecom networks in the world, and so they are trying to keep their equipment out of the U.S. and out of out of the, uh, the countries that are our allies. So this is a big fight that's going on. But this guy had an interesting story, and I think his struggles yeah. don't indicate that this was just some big government effort. I think he's a real entrepreneur. So there you go. Everything you want to know about Ren Zengfei. Hope you're paying attention because you can turn knowledge just gathered here on Tech Talk Radio into free food. So you can play the pop quiz coming up next here on Tech Talk Radio, heard every Saturday on Federal News Radio, <laughs> part of the Federal News Network. 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD2, 1039 FM HD2, and on the web at federalnewsnetwork.com. Watch us do the program by downloading the Periscope app to your device and following us at WFED Tech Talk. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. If it's technology, it's tech. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's new challenges and Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes year-round program starts and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule all disciplines are offered including digital forensics networking and telecommunications and our full line of degrees including a master's in cybersecurity find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today that's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity Security. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio.
Live from Washington, it's the Stratford University Pop Quiz with Andrew Mitchell, Jim Ross, featuring Mr. Big Voice, with musical guest, the Stratford University Junkyard Band, and your host, Dr. Richard Schertz. Yes, thank you, thank you, thank you. Please sit down, take your seats here in the studio. They are sitting. Yeah, it's very... The bleachers are just high. It makes that's it look like right. you're standing. Oh, I see. That's the thing. Well, yeah. Of course, welcome back to not a radio show, but a classroom of the airways. And we're going to assess whether you have been listening to the radio show with a pop quiz. If you get the right answer to the pop quiz, you've got tickets to find dining at one of our dining rooms, and you will also get an A-plus for today's show. Mm-hmm. Earlier in the show, I was talking about Ren Zengfei. He, of course, is founder and CEO, former CEO of Huawei uh, Telecom Equipment Company out of China. Now, he started out his uh, career, you know, uh, in the... People's Liberation Army, and his goal was to become an officer in the PLA. What was the reason that he could not become an officer in the PLA? Oops. Well, we applaud your diligence, but the only way to turn it into free food is by giving us a call. So if you're dialing from west of the Rockies, it's 877-936-9333. Calling from east of Playa del Shirts, Virginia, it's 877-936-9333. If you've recently been arrested in Canada, <laughs> call us on the wildcard line, 877-936-9333. And of course, anyone else anywhere else may call us on the international line, 877-9-3639-333. Now, once again, here's Dr. Richard Schertz. Yes, thank you. And if you're calling in from Mongolia, you can reach yes. us on Skype with a purely, you know, encrypted phone call. Simply connect to Tech Talk Radio 1 and your call will be forwarded to the studio free of charge. Dr. Mitchell, our adjunct professor for prize distribution and crowd control, standing by to take your calls. So, NSA. Oh. Whoops. There you go. Sorry, he's pregnant pause. For uh, that's right. NSA recommends dropping the phone surveillance program. NSA has recommended that the White House just abandon the surveillance program that was started back right after 9-11 that would collect phone calls and text messages. They're saying it's just a logistical and legal burden hmm. and that the problems outweigh its intelligence benefits. You see, originally this was done to sort of look for all text messages over the thing. And I, oh, you know, going through the airways. And I think initially when it was a secret, uh, it, it had some use. But now that, you know, potential terrorists know that that monitoring is being done, it's of less value because they're just not going to use those communication channels and they'll communicate in other ways. So they're saying, look, it's a big burden. It's a privacy burden. It's more trouble than it's worth. So the um, so the latest view is rooted in the growing belief among senior intelligence officers that the spying program provides such of limited value to national security now that it's become a logistical nightmare. Plus, there are frustrations of about legal compliance issues that have forced the NSA to halt the use of the program. You know. At certain times during this year. Now, the legal authority will expire in December unless Congress reauthorizes it, and it appears that the White House is not going to ask for that reauthorization. You may continue. Google is banning apps that generate click, fake clicks on ads. You see, every time, you know, these, you know, this, these clicks on ads, every time you click on it, 
somebody makes a few pennies. So, you know, you, you know, these ad, they, they generate revenue through click-throughs. And so one way to do this, you have an application where you just just click on ads over and over and over again. And the people that, that, that get the revenue from those ad clicks make money. And so that's that's one of the big areas of uh, of on the Internet where people try to make un-money, um, to make money in an, in an unscrupulous way, in a, scru- in, in a way that's not ethical. So there was a Chinese developer called DO Global, and it's partly owned by Baidu. And they were founding to create that to, to have apps on the uh, on the Android platform, on the on, on the Google Play in the Google Play Store that actually generated fake clicks to generate revenue, uh, even when the apps were closed. They just kept clicking on these ads. Do Global had previously had about a hundred apps on the Play Store, many of them listed under other developers' names, such as Pick Tools Group. Now, and so, and they basically got rid of all of those. And there were, you know, the of the apps that they had, that was almost 600 million um, downloads. It was a huge amount of downloads, and they just ended it. Now, last year, Google deleted 60 games from Play Store after Checkpoint found a malicious bug that uh, that got these apps to display porn ads. And, and every time a porn ad was was delivered, they hoped you'd click on it, and then they would make money. So they are now trying to monitor the applications that are on the Google Play Store, and I think that's a good thing. Okay, we do not have a winner yet, so I'm going to ask an alternate question. Okay, if that's very okay, good. That is right? okay. Yes, we seem to stumped everybody. So the question now, this is you can also we'll ask your question again. My question is: during his time in the People's Liberation Army, um, he and his comrades subsisted on this particular food item. Okay, we can try that one. your question is? Uh, what reason was given that, by the fact that he would, could not become an officer in the People's Liberation Army? What, what, why was he blocked from becoming an officer? Okay. Was something about his father. It's a hint. There you go. All right, so okay. uh, give us a call, 877-936-9333, 877-936-933, and we're going to take a break. This is Tech Talk Radio, heard every Saturday on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD2, and 1039 FM HD2. technology it's tech talk radio it trends software the internet and it careers more of tech talk radio presented by stratford university coming up in a moment In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. 
IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers, here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We are in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. Now, the UK has made one concession to Huawei. They're going to allow, they're going to use some of their equipment despite the U.S. objections. The U.K. government has given the Chinese telecom company Huawei the go-ahead to supply equipment for U.K.'s 5G, fifth-generation data network. The company will build non-core parts, such as antennas, that can't have software hacking built Hmm. into them. Uh, Now, the plans are of major concern to the Home Defense and Foreign Secretaries, so they're looking at this thing very carefully. The U.S. wants its allies in the Five Eyes Intelligence Group. Those are the—that's the U.K., Canada, Australia, New New Zealand, plus the U.S. These are the Five Eyes, where we share intelligence data. U.S. wants all the Five Eyes Intelligence Group to exclude Huawei from everything— Huawei said it's pleased the U.K. is continuing to take an evidence-based approach to its work, and it will continue to work cooperatively. But there is a lot of distrust with that firm because they don't believe that they can stop the Chinese from insisting on backdoors in the software. Okay. We still don't have a winner. Go ahead and ask your question again. Okay. So earlier in the show, we talked about Ren Zengfei, of course, is the founder and CEO of Huawei, the China, the Chinese telecom company, and so he wanted to become. A, he was in the People's Liberation Army, and he wanted to become an officer, but something about his father uh, kept but blocked him from becoming an officer. What what specific thing did his father do that kept him from? Getting becoming an officer. And my question, Ren Zengfei, while he was in the People's Liberation Army, he and his comrades subsisted on this food stuff. I love that <laughs> word. While he was uh, for months at a time. And my hint is this item was. Wow, we've crossed a dimension there. It sounds like uh, uh, this item was pickled. Eight seven seven nine three six nine three 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 eight seven seven nine three six nine three 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 continue on doc so fixing algorithms will not stop fake news i mean there's been a study on this they said just tweaking algorithms and infusing machine learning into them will not protect us from misinformation or fake news on social media platform technological fixes can't stop countries from spreading disinformation on social media platforms like Facebook and Twitter. Twitter policymakers and diplomats need to focus on the psychology behind the citizens who are vulnerable to disinformation, they stressed. You know, why are people so open to false information? There are three ways that disinformation is spread. One is identity grievance campaigns where you focus on looking at real or perceived divisions within the country, like the Russian Facebook advertising during 2016 basically tried to create a racial divide, pitting one racial group against another. That would have been identity grievance. Now, the other way to do it, they call it gaslighting, where they just flood the place with false or misleading information on everywhere. They put it on social media, on blogs, on fake news, online comments and advertising. They just basically spread it everywhere. And that is trying, they're not so much trying to persuade anybody anything, they're just trying to distract and sow uncertainty. And then the third is, uh, is disinformation. It just tries to increase incidental exposure to fake news. So where, you know, they'll just have fake news scattered around and you run across it here or there. And then they, they figure if the same news article, you see it enough times, you'll, you'll be saying, well, I've seen that 20 times and maybe it's true. 
But the researchers have said the only way to battle this is to look at the psychology on why we accept it. And they said that policymakers must work to address the political and social conditions that allow disinformation to succeed, such as loss of confidence in the democratic institutions. I think that's probably good advice. All right. We don't have an answer yet. So we're going to give up on the pop quiz today. Let's take a break, if you don't mind, Doc. No, I don't mind. And uh, we'll be right back. This is Tech Talk Radio, (laughs) heard every Saturday at 9 on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD 2, 103.9 FM HD 2. Learn all about the programs at Stratford University by going to stratford.edu and watch us do the program by downloading the Periscope device to your uh, app to your device and following us at WFED Tech Talk. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty of Stratford University talking technology. We are indeed, and I think we have a contestant on the line. Oh, very good. It was difficult this morning. Let us go to line number one. This is Fabian calling us from Silver Spring. Fabian, are you there? Yes, I'm here. There you are. Okay, Dr. Schertz, please, yes. if you would ask Earlier in the show, I talked about Ren Zhengfei. He, of course, is the founder and CEO, a former CEO of a Huawei Telecom. What was the reason that he could not become an officer in the PLA? Because his father was considered a sympathizer to capitalism. His that is- father thought that capitalism... Capitalism was better than communism. That is go. correct. That's excellent. Woo. Very good, Very Fabian. Good. Hang on a second. We're going to send you back over to Andrew, and he's going to take your information. Very good. We got us a winner. All right, Doc, you can continue the on. The dead may outnumber the living on Facebook within 50 years. <laughs> That's actually it's an interesting thought. A new analysis yeah. by the Oxford Internet Institute predicts that the dead may outnumber the may outnumber the living on Facebook within 50 years. The analysis predicts that based on 2018 user levels, at least 1.4 billion members will die before 20, 2100. It's kind of a morbid story. That is very it's morbid. Yes. But there's a reason I'm talking about this. It's just I'll get through the morbidity and then I'll talk about the reason. Okay. In this scenario, the dead. 
uh, could outnumber the living by 2070. If the world's largest social network continues to expand at the current rates, however, the number of deceased users could even be at a higher level by the end of the century. These statistics rise give, give rise to a new and difficult questions around who has the rights to all of this data. Mm-hmm. The management are they call them, listen, this is a new phrase, the management of our digital remains. <laughs> that is weird. <laughs> the management of our digital remains will, remain, will, will eventually affect everyone who uses social media. Since all of us someday will pass away and leave our data behind. Not if you're Ted Williams. He's been frozen. Oh, he's he coming is. back. Oh, he's you know? coming back. Well, well, they better keep his. Was up. it they Walt Disney keep... frozen too? I don't know. But they, if they're doing, if they're frozen, they should keep. They keep their. They need to keep their profile active. <laughs> can, now, can you post while you're cryogenically stored? Now, now here is something that's that's really interesting. The, to, the the totality of our deceased user profiles amounts to something larger than the sum of its parts. It is or will become part of our global digital heritage. Never before in history have we had such a vast archive of human behavior and culture assembled in one place and organized. Hmm. Uh, Controlling this archive will, in a sense, control our history. It's therefore important to ensure that that access to this digital data is not limited to a single for-profit company, meaning Facebook. It is also important to make sure that future generations can use our digital heritage to understand our history. So uh, the people that did this research, they are recommending that Facebook invite in historians, archivists, archaeological, archaeologists, ethicists to participate in the process of curating the vast volume of of accumulated data that we leave behind when we pass. I mean, this is from a from an archaeo- from a historian perspective. It's a tremendous archive of human behavior. Sure, I never thought of it like that. No, I hadn't either. And that's the first time this has ever been available. It's not necessarily good behavior. Not necessarily but, good behavior, but it's it really it's a window into how people behaved, and they could learn a lot about our culture. So I think this is a very a very good point. Um, which I'd never thought about until I read the, about this study by the Oxford Internet. Institute. All right, I have I have a question. So okay. Facebook used to be a young person thing. Yeah. And now it's not. No. Is it just because the young people on Facebook are now old and young people have moved on to something else? Is that the reason? No, it's because young people do not want to be on the same platform as their parents. Really? Yeah. They do not want their parents to know what goes on in their pla- – they do not want to be on the same platform as their parents, parents period. That's funny. My daughter's on Facebook. Mm-hmm. How about your kids? Yeah, they are. But they're also on other things. How about their kids? No, but yeah, but their kids may not be. See, my kids are older. So yes. my kids might be of the more Facebook Correct. Gen, uh, generation. Yeah, the younger kids are off on Snapchat. See, the younger kids True. are going to these ephemeral things where what they say just disappears. You know, I think my daughter started on Facebook mm-hmm. and she's moved to other stuff, but she never, she may not post to Facebook anymore, Yeah, but she hasn't taken it down. No, she's, she stays on Facebook to keep track of you. I don't think so. I don't believe that for a minute. I don't believe that for a minute. So I I don't really – I don't post to Facebook either, but um, it's – but it it has shifted where where people are using other other platforms for communication. Instagram is very big because – see, the trouble with Facebook is all you have to write, and now people just want to post pictures. Right. So, exactly. so things that are more picture-centric, I think, are becoming more popular. Mm-hmm. Now, let's talk about the most loved computer language. 
Yes. Computer programming language. The annual Stack Overflow survey is one of the most comprehensive snapshots of how programmers work and how the, what they think. This year, they polled almost 90,000 developers. The language that is in demand, most in demand, and enjoyable to use, both most in demand and most enjoyable, is Python. Python's versatility continues to fuel its rise in Stack Overflow's ranking as the most popular language because it's easy to use, so that's why it's popular, and it's widely used by developers. Python's enduring popularity stems from the fact that the language is kind of a jack-of-all-trades. You can, you can apply it to almost any application, and so Python tends to be the second-best language for anything. So if you know Python, you can work on almost any application. And so it's, uh, it's broad application to many different areas, and its ease of use make it uh, both in-demand and enjoyable. Stack, the Stack Overflow survey also shows that Python to be one of the most in-demand languages sought by employers. So if you're looking for a job in IT, knowing Python is not a bad idea. There you go. The nations of Amazon want their name back. <laughs> Amazon countries do not like giving control to the domain tech giant because they believe they own the Amazon. The on-time retailer Amazon and the governments of the eight South American countries have been given a final deadline to reach an agreement on how to use the top-level domain name .amazon. And this meant a seven-year dispute. The Internet Corporation for Assigned Names of Numbers, which, which controls how do you do top-level domains, is sort of the one doing this thing. The eight countries say the eight countries that are contained in the Amazon rainforest object to the retail giants' plans to use the new .amazon name for their business. They say, we own Amazon. Now, the governments involved are Bolivia, Brazil, Colombia, Ecuador, Guyana, Peru, Suriname and Venezuela. How's that? Suriname? I didn't know. I've known. Yeah. Suriname. They're all members of the Amazon Cooperative Treaty Organization. I didn't know about that. And they want to control the Amazon name. Now, the diplomats are proposing shared governments of the domain name. Now, according to their proposals, Amazon would be allowed to use domains such as books.amazon, kindle.amazon. And each country would be able to use domains that relate to their cultural heritage, like tourism.amazon. I think that's an interesting thing, and I think mm -hmm. these countries ought to own Amazon. Listen, we love, love, love your emails. Email us to techtalk at stratford.edu, and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. We'd also like you to go to the Stratford University website. That's www.stratford.edu. Check out our programs in health sciences and nursing and IT, software engineering, hospitality, business accounting, both up to the master's level. And tell them that you heard about those programs on Tech Talk Radio. Tech Talk Radio is sponsored by Stratford University. For more information on courses at Stratford University, call 1-800-444-0804. Thanks for listening to Tech Talk Radio Online. Online.